Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Let's go ahead and jump into now our final session this evening, talking about what does the Bible have to say about saving. And this morning we talked a little bit about extreme views of uh, money within the broad realm of Christianity, the prosperity gospel, but also the poverty gospel. And, And the poverty gospel is this idea that if you're truly living for the Lord, if you're a real Christian, then you will shun wealth, uh, that, that you won't be rich because that would be somehow a sign of, of how materialistic you are or how you don't trust in God, you trust in your riches. But the Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, uh, many times there are certain principles in the Bible that at surface glance, they seem to be at odds with each other. They seem to be contradictory. But on further inspection and further understanding, what we find is, no, they, they perfectly complement one another and, and the more we study the Bible, the more we see how certain principles can be held together and can be true at the same time. And so, on one hand, no, we don't trust in our riches. Of course not. We don't put our, our, our hope in them. But on the other hand, there is wisdom, and we're going to look at several passages here in this session, there's wisdom involved with saving and preparing and storing for the future. Just because you save and you plan and you prepare does not mean you're trusting in your riches. We can still acknowledge that it's all God's and it all can be taken from us. We can still place our hope in, in faith in Jesus and still also be wise and responsible stewards of God's money. So let's now take a look at several passages and what the Bible says about saving. So here's statement number one uh, for this session. It's wise to prepare for the future. It's wise to prepare for the future. Let's look at Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. This is the story of Joseph. We remember Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt and that whole story about how as he was in prison, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has this dream and it upsets him and he doesn't know what it means. And God gives Joseph the interpretation. There was these these cows and seven fat cows and seven lean cows and seven fat ears of corn and seven lean ears of corn. And it was all weird and Pharaoh didn't know what it meant. And so God gives Joseph the ability to interpret the dream, but also not just interpret, but give a solution to the problem that the dream presented. And so the dream meant, the interpretation was, Egypt was going to have seven years of plenty, very prosperous years, but then it would be followed immediately by seven years of famine. And so Joseph, under the inspiration of God, gives the solution to Pharaoh. He says, here's what it means, Pharaoh, but also here's what you need to do about it. And that's where we read in verse 34, Joseph says, let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land. So we we need to create an organizational structure that's going to carry this plan out take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. Let them gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities and that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt that the land perish not through the famine. So here is the solution to the problem. All right, Pharaoh, here's what you need to do. One fifth, 20% every year you need to save and you need to put people in charge to make sure that this gets done. 
Store it up so that when the years of plenty and economic prosperity are over, you're still going to have enough food for your people to survive. And not only that, you will set yourself up for even further success because the other countries that have not planned and have not saved, they will need to come to you and they will need to buy from you in order for them to survive. And that's exactly what happened. Egypt saved and then even the years of famine, they survived and Egypt became that much more powerful and wealthy because all the neighboring people and kingdoms had to come to them to buy food because there was no uh, food in the land. And so in this story, we, what we, we find is that there is wisdom in saving. What we have to understand is there are going to be years of plenty. There's going to be years of prosperity, but there will also be years of need. We have seasons in life. Some seasons oh, we're doing very well and the money is good and we have savings and it seems like everything is going our way. But there will also be seasons in life of necessity and need. But we don't know when those are going to be. And, and come on, folks, 2020, I mean, how many of us saw that coming? Nobody knew what 2020 was going to hold in store for us. And that's why it's so wise for us to prepare for those times of need. And so the wise person anticipates that there will be future needs, prepares for them by saving up during times of plenty. Times of plenty and prosperity are not times to say, great, let's spend it all. No, it's time to say, okay, let's set aside a portion. Let's be wise to prepare for future need. Let's look now at Proverbs 21 and verse 20. Proverbs 21 verse 20 says this, there is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but the foolish man spendeth it up. But the foolish man spendeth it up. See, the wise person doesn't immediately spend everything they got. It's not money in, money out. Instead, he has treasure, he has oil, he has resources stored up so that if there's need, he can take care of himself, his family, and others who have need. But the foolish person, that's not, not what he does. All the money that he gets goes right out. There's no planning, there's no preparation, there's no saving. It's all about consume it right now. And the Bible says that that's foolish. There is a significant number of Americans today, and I don't know the exact number, but it's about half that live paycheck to paycheck. And, and while some are below the poverty level, some people just don't have enough income to have really any money to have above their basic necessities. But it's not just people with, with low income that are living paycheck to paycheck. You realize that, right? People that are living paycheck to paycheck, a lot of really high income, high earning people are living paycheck to paycheck. I mean, their level, of cons you know, their level of income is here, but their level of consumption is also up here. And the Bible says that that's not wise. We need to make room to save and to, to plan for future need. Let's look now at Proverbs 13 and verse 22. Proverbs 13, 22 says, A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. So the good man, the wise man, is so diligent in his planning and preparation to such a degree that his wealth is passed down two generations, not just his children, but his children's children. But conversely, in, in, in contrast, uh, the wealth of the sinner, the wealth of somebody who, who has ill-gotten wealth, somebody who is, who is not uh, wise with their money, that does not last long. It does not stay in their possession for very long. In fact, it ends up back in the hands of those who are good and those who are diligent, and those who are just. See, building a legacy of wealth and inheritance for children, for children's children, can be a good thing, can be an admirable thing, so long as it's done in, 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 with the motivation to be a good steward and a, and a good manager of God's resources. We build wealth because we are attempting to be good stewards. We can provide for the needs of our family while also being generous to the needs of others. So it's wise to prepare 
for the future. But not only that, it's not only wise to prepare for the future, but number two, it's wise to be disciplined. It's wise to be disciplined. Saving takes discipline. It doesn't happen by accident. It takes some self-restraint, some self-control. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 through 8. It says this, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. So this is some advice for the sluggard the lazy person, the undisciplined person. Go consider the ant. Now, I remember as a, as a young boy, uh, as I would play outside, every now and then you'd come across an ant hill, and, and what, would, what would I do with the ant? Kick it over. I don't know what, it's something, if you have boys in your home, you understand, like, there's just this inexplicable desire to destroy, like, whatever is in their path, and so we just kick over the anthill. And what is, always happens, you kick over the anthill and immediately all the little ants scurry around and they start building the anthill again, right? And you never see a little ant off to the side that's like in a hammock and he's like, ah, it's break time for me guys, it's a union mandated. Like, it's, it's, it's every ant immediately goes to work and does what needs to be done and it's just, it's amazing. And there's no, and also there's not like a little ant off to the side too with like a bullhorn who's yelling at the other ants to get back to work. There is no guide. There's no overseer. There's no manager. There's no boss. Nobody's looking over their shoulder, but yet they're diligent. They're hardworking. So what is, what is the advice here? What is, what is the lazy person to learn from the ant? They're to learn to work hard, even if there's no supervision, even if there's no accountability. But not only that, they need to work hard while they have the strength and the opportunity so that they can be prepared during the lean times of winter. That's what the ant does. It works really hard in the summertime to gather food to store so that they have enough food to survive the winter because during the winter, they can't go gather food. They can't work. So in other words, I have time and opportunity now to work and prepare and save because there's coming a time where I won't be able to do that and the lazy person needs to learn from that example. Don't be lazy, work hard. Prepare while you have the opportunity. Don't procrastinate. And on this idea of procrastination, that really leads us to our next verse. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 10 and verse four and five. Proverbs 10, verse four and five. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand. So a slack hand, lazy. So laziness, dealing with a slack hand, what does that lead to? He becometh poor. Right? So laziness often leads to poverty. Remember, principles, not promises, principles. This behavior often leads to this result. Laziness often leads to poverty. But by contrast, the hand of the diligent, the hardworking, maketh rich. So laziness often leads to poverty, but hard work often leads to wealth. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son. It's wise to, to prepare and to gather and to save. But he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. The person who's lazy, who procrastinates, that leads to shame. Now, let me, let me say something that, that I want to be very careful about something because uh, we, we have to understand that certain behaviors may lead to certain results, but that's not to say, when, when, when I say laziness and procrastination often lead to poverty, that's not to say that poverty is always the result of laziness and procrastination. We have to be careful as Christians to not demean or to, to look down upon people based on their net worth. James 2 talks about how uh, James reprimands a church because he says, here's what happens. You, you're at your church and, and a poor man comes into your assembly and you don't respect him. You say, hey, why don't you stand 
stand in the back or you can sit on the floor. But a rich person comes in, they have nice clothes and they have a gold ring and you say, oh, why don't you sit here in, in a good spot and you're deferential to them. He said, that, not ought, that not, ought not to be. All right, that, that, that's not right. We should not treat people uh, nicer or differently based on their, their, their net worth. I mean, that is shallow. That is anti-gospel. So what we're saying here is not that, oh, poor people are always lazy and, and procrastinators and rich people are always hardworking and diligent and wise. It's that these behaviors and these attributes will, always, will, will often lead to these results. And I want to be very clear about that. So laziness, procrastination often lead to poverty. What else? Let's look at Proverbs 21 and verse 5. Proverbs 21 verse 5. The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness. The thoughts of the diligent, the, the planning, the foresight of the diligent, that leads to plenteousness. That leads to wealth. But again, by contrast, everyone that is hasty to want. So not only laziness, but procrastination. Hastiness impulsiveness, somebody who's undisciplined, that often leads to poverty. The hasty person is one who is reactionary. They're inconsistent. They don't have good financial habits, and their poor financial decisions often lead to poverty. That's why saving and budgeting and planning are so key, because they require intentionality. They're not hasty. They're not spur of the moment. They require discipline. Uh, so, so you've you, you, you know when you go to the grocery store and you need to get milk or you need to get bread, where does the grocery store always put it? All the way in the back. You notice that? Okay. Why do they do that? Like, aren't those two of the most common items that people need? Why don't they put it in the front, make it more convenient? Well, they do it on purpose. You know that, right? They, they know what they're doing because they want you to have to go all the way through the store to get the stuff that they know you're gonna to need to buy so that you're going up and down the aisles you're like, oh, there's cereal. Oh, we can pick up strawberries. And by the end of it, you know, you only went there to get milk and bread, but you have 10 items at the counter, right? Uh, because they're, they're, they're playing on our impulsiveness. Marker, marketers, advertisers, they, they know what they're doing. They know human psychology. They know that if they can kind of present it to you to give you the suggestion, a lot of times, because we lack self-discipline, and I'm speaking for myself here, we just say, oh yeah, why not? That's why they put candy, that's why they put soda in the checkout line, so we're standing there like, hmm, almost my turn, and then you're like, oh yeah, I could, I could use some gum, let's throw that in the cart, right? Impulse buying, that's literally what it's called, impulse buying. And, and while buying gum or strawberries or cereal at the grocery store, that's not going to probably put us in poverty, a, a pattern and a habit of no discipline and hastiness will often lead to poverty. So laziness, procrastination, hastiness, these things lead to poverty. What else? Let's look at Proverbs 13.11. Proverbs 13.11. Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. What does that mean? Wealth gotten by vanity. Well, it carries this idea of either through dishonest means, like wealth gotten dishonestly, or, or in a windfall fashion, just sort of all of the, all of the sudden. Wealth gotten either dishonestly or in a windfall fashion, what tends to happen with that money? It tends to be diminished, it tends to go away. But by contrast, he that gathereth by labor shall increase. So incremental wealth built little by little through consistent hard work, that tends to last. So you notice people that acquire money dishonestly or just all at once, a lot of times they lose it all because they lack the financial discipline and skills, the money management skills, in order to keep that money. 
So they spend it all, and they waste it, and they make bad decisions. But the person who has built their wealth little by little through hard work and saving discipline, they tend to not uh, lose and fritter away their wealth because they know the value and the sacrifice it took to, to accumulate that. So that's why one-third, approximately one-third of lottery winners go broke. You, you, you've seen those, those articles and those shows about lottery winners that had all this, and then they spent it all. Why does it happen so often? Because a lot of times the people who win the lottery don't have the financial skills in place already, so they get a lot of money, and they treat it just like they did their money before. And, and before long, it's gone. Also, lottery winners have, have, have higher uh, rates of suicide and depression and substance abuse and divorce because money does not solve their problems. It only amplifies the bad habits that were there to begin with. But the people who have built wealth over time, little by little, with skill, uh, oftentimes they understand the value and the sacrifice, and they're able to keep that. So do you see the pattern here? Laziness, procrastination, hastiness, lack of discipline. What does that lead to? It often leads to poverty. But by contrast, hard work and discipline and planning, those often lead to wealth. Now, number three, lastly tonight, it's wise to make your money work for you. It's wise to make your money work for you. See, a good money manager knows how to put others people, other people's capital to work. That's what we are. We're money managers, managers of God's money. And so it would, it would behoove us as good managers to put that money to good use, to be good stewards. Let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 25. We looked at this passage this morning it's the parable of the talents. So you remember the story, the master gives three different servants, five talents, two talents, one talent, different amounts of money, and he goes on his journey, and the, the first two servants manage it well, and they double their, their master's money. But the, what does the other servant do? He's fearful, he's unwilling to embrace his responsibility, and he just buries the money because he figures that's easier. That's less stress. That's less headache for me. That's less risk for me. It would just be easier if I don't do anything with it. And I mean, come on, at least I'm not going to lose it, right? But the master returns and he reprimands that servant. He says, that was wicked of you because that's not your money. You had a responsibility. I entrusted you and you didn't take it seriously. And that money was taken from him. That responsibility was taken from him. So the master, God, gives us different amounts. He has not entrusted all of us with the same resources, and he does not expect the same result from all of us. He does expect faithfulness and, and, and management of what he has entrusted us with. So the application to this passage, many times I hear this passage being preached, and the application is, see, God's given you time. God's given you uh, abilities, and steward those well. And that's, that's an appropriate application. But another appropriate application is our money. And it's funny because the parable is about money, and oftentimes we don't use that application of what this passage is teaching. Don't be motivated by fear. Instead, demonstrate faith and do our best to please God with uh, our management of his resources. Let's look now at Proverbs 31. There's a couple of interesting verses in Proverbs 31. So Proverbs 31 is famous as the, 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 the virtuous woman passage. And it's, it's often held up as a, a great model of, of a godly woman. Here are the attributes and the, and the things to be found, and here's something to aspire to. It's kind of a, 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 a model or, or, or a, a um, yes, a, a model of what it would mean to be a godly woman. And so 
in all of those lists of attributes and, and things that she is known for and things that she does, I find it interesting that there are a couple verses that speak directly to this idea of making your money work for you. So notice, again, virtuous woman, this is something to aspire to. This is, this is, this is being held forth as a good example. What does she do? Verse 16, she considereth a field and buyeth it. And with the fruit of her hands, she planteth a vineyard. So she considers a field. She considers a, an investment opportunity. She analyzes it. And then she buys it, which would assume that she had money saved aside to invest. So she has money, but she's not just going to let it sit there. She's going to invest it in this property. She's going to grow a vineyard, and then she's going to use the profits of this new business venture uh, to earn even more money. This is admirable. This is, this is something that is a good quality, that she recognizes a good investment opportunity and is wise about it. Not only that, verse 24, she maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Now, I don't know the first thing about materials and, and all of that, but from what I can understand, linen is a very difficult uh, material to produce, especially back in Bible times. And it's a very soft and breathable material. So when you live in the desert of Israel, that's a very uh, valuable material to have. And so here's a woman that not only uh, looks for investment opportunities, but she's very industrious. She's an entrepreneur. She looks for a good business opportunity uh, to, to fill a need and, and make a profit. These are qualities that are admirable and encouraged by the Lord. Now let's look at Ecclesiastes, <clears throat> excuse me, Ecclesiastes 11. And verse 2. Ecclesiastes verse two, 11, verse 2. This is Solomon writing, and Solomon, remember, wisest man who ever lived, one of the wealthiest men who ever lived, he has some investment advice for us in verse 2. He says this, Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. And I have to admit to you that, that when I first read that verse, it didn't really jump out to me like, Okay, so what does that mean exactly? Well, the first part of that verse, give a portion to seven and also to eight, that's a figure of speech. It's kind of like us saying, I'll be there in a second. Give me a minute. Do we literally mean one second or 60 seconds? No, no. We just mean very quickly, very shortly, right? We understand that's a figure of speech. So give a portion to seven and also to eight. What does that convey? It conveys several, not one, not two or three, but, but many, several, a portion to seven and also to eight. So what Solomon is saying is take your resources, whether it's your money or, or your wealth, your possessions, and give a portion, divide it out into many sections, many portions, a portion to seven and also to eight. Why? Why, why do we do this? Why do we uh, divide our money out into different portions? Because, he gives the answer, thou knowest not what evil but shall be upon the earth because you don't know what might happen. Something really bad might befall you, and you don't want to put all of what you have at risk. So you know how we would say it today? We would say, diversify. Or we would say it more simply, don't put all your eggs in one basket. We understand that by putting everything you have in one venture or one investment, that's a lot of risk. And if it goes bad, which it may, then you're left with nothing. And so Solomon's saying it's wise to diversify. It's wise to spread your wealth out because by that way you're not taking on as much risk. 
So you see, there's so much conventional wisdom that we get passed around. There's so many, you know, financial self-help books that are not tried, they're not, you know, purposely biblically based, but they are biblical principles. It's amazing how much of our, our modern wisdom and our secular wisdom is truly derived from the Bible. God knew ahead of time that these principles work and that they are wise and they lead to good money management. So what's the point? What's the point of our saving? Why should we save for short-term needs? Why should we save for long-term needs? Why do we save for retirement and our kids' college and for healthcare costs and for a car and for a house down payment? Is, so that we, is it so that we can have a comfortable life? Is it so that we can be like the man in the parable that kicks back and says, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry? No, no. The wise person recognizes the truth that, again, his money belongs to God and he is to be a good steward of it. And to the degree that we will make decisions in 2021 to say, God, in my giving, in my spending, in my saving, let me honor you. Let me make these decisions with eternity in mind. I believe that God will honor us for it. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.